The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 309. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, where you can watch this podcast, at Brian McClanahan. You'll find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do so. I've also got classes available for purchase there. So if you want to support the show and get something awesome for it, you can purchase one of my courses at McClanahan Academy. You can also go to brianmclanahan.com forward slash support. You can also go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, Learn True History. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Lots of great ways to support the show. You can go to anchor.fm. You can support the show there. So all kinds of places to help contribute and keep the podcast going, keep the lights on, keep content going. I do appreciate all of your support. Also, if you want any, uh, want to give me any show suggestions, you can uh, go to my webpage and hit that contact button. You can click on that shop button on my webpage too and get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Also, your Think Locally, Act Locally material. Stickers are really popular right now. This is a big deal. We're thinking locally and acting locally in COVID-19, so get your Think Locally, Act Locally stickers. Of course, my logo also says that too, but if you don't want to have my name on it as well, you can just get that Think Locally, Act Locally sticker. Also, rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Help spread the word, share it on social media, do all those wonderful things that helps people get the bug to think locally and act locally. We want people to get that bug. We don't want them to get some other nasty thing. We want them to get the bug of independence, decentralization, thinking locally and acting locally. And with all that said, let's talk about the topic for the day. Another uh, COVID-free episode. We had one last time, yesterday in fact. I'm a little late in doing these this week, but... Um, got a lot going on, but uh, we had a COVID-free episode yesterday. We have another COVID-free episode today. We're trying to get back to normal and talking about normal things instead of always discussing uh, the shutdown, the quarantine, the COVID. And um, so this is a, an article that was in Spectator, American Spectator Online, written by Daniel McCarthy, who is a really good guy. Uh, but uh, Daniel McCarthy... Um, wrote a piece on Justin Amash and his decision to go libertarian, or at least for the Libertarian Party, for the presidential nomination. Now, I'm going to go over this piece, and I'm going to talk about not just Amash, but the idea of third parties, where the Libertarian Party fits, um, you know, what I think about the Libertarian Party. Uh, so this is a this is a nice set. We're getting to 2020 election now. I mean, we're not that far off from it. We're we're in May, and uh, you know the the election is just a just around the corner. We'll be here before you know it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because of all the shutdowns and all the hysteria and fear. What's going to happen with the conventions? Uh, what's going to happen with, uh, of course, the election itself? How that's going to shake out? How how the states are going to decide to handle the uh, 2020 elections, 
got a lot of things going on in 2020, not just the presidential election, which everybody has got a laser beam focus on as usual and unfortunately as usual. But when you look at everything that's happening in the states, you know, for example, just Michigan, people in Michigan storming the Capitol there, you've got a lot of things happening at the local level and at the state level, which are much more important than what's going on really in Washington, D.C., uh, because the president, Trump, has had no constitutional authority to shut down anything. Now, of course, he's talking about the meatpacking industry and uh, essentially declaring a national emergency for the meatpacking industry so they can uh, force those people to work. and all. So we've got a lot going on, but presidential politics is still there. If we didn't have all the COVID right now, if we didn't have that, we would have uh, we'd be talking about this a lot more, but because that's taken center stage, we haven't done as much with this. So this ty- this particular piece is entitled "Justin Amash: A Study in Vanity," and again by Daniel McCarthy. He begins. Every Democrat's favorite ex-Republican has just announced he's going to seek the Libertarian Party nomination for president. Now I don't know if he's every Democrat's favorite ex-Republican. Maybe Max Boot or uh, you know Bill Kristol. They might be every every Democrat's favorite ex-Republican. Uh, Amash, uh, maybe if you say in Congress, but uh, there's some others out there um, who I think would be high up on the list. You know, it's just, please like me. Please like me. If you guess it, Justin Amash will be the third ex-Republican in a row to be the LP's standard bearer, tracing the footsteps of former Georgia Representative Bob Barr, and former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson. Neither of those two had an appreciable impact on the Obama-McCain, Obama-Romney, or Clinton-Trump contest, and the odds are not great that Amash will be any more significant. So let me stop there. Well, first of all, Bob Barr um, and Gary Johnson, and and I think that Daniel McCarthy's criticism of the Libertarian Party is going to factor into this, but yeah, those two guys were never going to have an impact on the race because they're non-entities. I mean, look, who cares about Bob Barr or Gary Johnson when you get down to it? Uh, Gary Johnson was just as bad as someone like Beto and trying to be hip all the time. I mean, he, it's fake. You can see right through it. The man's trying to act like he's 25 years old, uh, and it just doesn't work. And I think that's, well, I'm going to appeal to young voters. I'm going to ride a skateboard into my con- into my uh, my uh, uh, speech here, like, as Beto does, or some of the stupid stuff these people do. I mean, it's it's just stupid. Uh, and I think that, you know, Bob Barr didn't try to do that, but Bob Barr looks like, uh, you know, you're, he's creepy. I mean, there's no other way to describe Bob Barr. He just looks creepy. So he's not going to appeal to people. Gary Johnson tried too hard to appeal to young people. Now, Amash has the potential to appeal to young people because he is younger, and I th- and Daniel McCarthy makes that point. Uh, but he's got some personality flaws, which I think uh, come through, and, and, and McCarthy, I think, does a good job pointing that out. So let's get into that. So why is he running? The immediate explanation is probably that he concluded he couldn't win his race for re-election to Congress. And I think this is probably true. I, I'm not certain Amash could win. Uh, and, he, and because of his support for impeachment, which was not popular among very many Republicans at all, even, le- even libertarian-leading Republicans did not tend to support the impeachment proceedings. And I think, you know, look, 
I've said on this podcast, Trump could have impeached, been impeached for so many things, but not what the Democrats were going after him for uh, when they when they listed the articles of impeachment. Now, abuse of power is something that is we should look at with presidents. But if you're going to go down that path, then we should impeach every president from here on out. Every president should then be impeached every single time. Whatever the next term we get to, whoever that is, if it's Trump or Biden or whoever, if Clinton comes riding back in or whatever happens, you know, Cuomo. Look, I will say this, and there was a rumor that Joe Biden is not going to pick Stacey Abrams as vice president, though I think she wants it so bad. I mean, she would just about do anything for it. This is how corrupt that woman is. But an even more corrupt person would be the Obamas. And there is a, a substantial rumor that Michelle Obama will be chosen to be the vice presidential nominee so the Obamas can get back in the White House for 12 more years because Biden said he's only going to serve one term. I mean, he's he's already older than Trump would be if Trump was served another term and left office. Uh, he would be the oldest man ever to be president. And so, uh, you know, look, at that point, he's Michelle Obama would be pr- prime position to run. And, of course, I think she would have a very good chance of winning in 2024, uh, because American voters are stupid, uh, and and I'll just leave it at that. But uh, I, I do think that this is that's a juggernaut. If Biden selects her as his vice presidential nominee, we've got the Obamas in the White House for 12 years, because people would vote for Biden because Michelle Obama's on the ticket. So we'd have the Obamas for 12 more years. We would get 20 years of the Obamas. And who says Americans don't like monarchy and political dynasty? We're, in fact, worse than the British in some ways. Uh, Now, Amash, uh, oh, he he continues. Uh, Amash is younger than Barr Johnson. And if he wants a future as a pundit, a third-party presidential bid serves him better than a humiliating defeat in his house race. Amash made headlines last year by quitting the GOP and throwing his support behind the Democrats' impeachment effort. He won strange new respect from liberals and neoconservatives, not exactly the fan base of principal libertarian craves, you might think. But since his moment of never-Trump glory, he's been a non-entity. A presidential bid, however futile, will raise his profile. It guarantees him a few more minutes of fame, and because he can be trusted to bash Trump more than Biden... The pro-Biden media, Tara Who, will give him a megaphone. A small one, but that's as good as he can get, so he'll take it. So McCarthy is saying that, look, this presidential bid is all about Amasha's ego. His ego has been crushed because, I mean, he's basically saying Amasha's a narcissist. He's got to have the constant attention. Uh, He ran for Congress. He's not getting the attention he wants anymore. So he's going to run for president to get more attention because he's a narcissist. And once that fails, which he's not going to win and he's not in Congress anymore, then he can get on MSNBC or CNN as a political pundit, which I'm sure they would hire him in a second because he's on the right, supposedly. And um, he's going to be on there and he's going to be able to be anti-Trump, which they're anti-Trump. But once Trump's not in the White House, and Amash is critical of Biden or Obama, they're going to jettison Justin Amash. So this is where you get into the problems of the consistency in the ideology or the uh, ideas. If you're a consistent person, if you're principled, 
And I think Amash is fairly principled on some things. Not on everything, but some things. Uh, if you're principled, you're going to run into problems. You can't side with either the neoconservatives or the left because they're going to jettison you as soon as the person they hate is out of power. And what do you have left? Nothing. If you want to be in, in politics on TV. Now, I mean, you could still do stuff. And, and you know, you look at John Tyler. I, my favorite example of someone who stood by principles above everything else, and I, and I think he's the best president in American history, is John Tyler. Here's a guy that voted against the force bill. He was told not to, made a speech against, against it, and voted against it anyways. And as president, well, he's one of the worst presidents because the Whig party booted him out of the party. Congratulations. I mean, that was because of principle that that happened, not because John Totter was an awful guy, but because he was a principled man. So McCarthy continues, and he continues to criticize Amash here. He says, I've related before my impression from the first time I heard Amash speak. It was shortly after his first election in 2010, and he addressed a gathering sponsored by Young Americans for Liberty in conjunction with CPAC. Young Americans for Liberty was founded by the youth coordinator of the 2008 Ron Paul campaign, and the Paul movement was instrumental in creating the conditions for the Tea Party and the election of libertarian-leading Republicans such as Amash in the 2010 midterms. But in his remarks to YAL... Amash made a point of distancing himself from Ron Paul and his branch of the libertarian tradition. This seemed preening and ungrateful. At the time, I chalked it up to a politician's simple desire to be his own man. He was inexperienced, and if he struck the wrong note, it probably wasn't deliberate. Now, this is important. And what, what McCarthy is doing here is exposing, and he does this a little bit later, but I'm going to lead into this. Tom Woods has made a lot of noise recently about getting Ron Paul-type libertarians into the libertarian party precisely for this reason because you have a bunch of left libertarians running the libertarian party and i think amash in many ways is a left libertarian you have a bunch of left libertarians running things and so uh tom woods has, has tried fairly successfully i think to get more right libertarians into the libertarian movement and if amash rose to power in his congressional district because of Ron Paul and you know refused to uh, to be the Ron Paul guy. Well, I mean, I think McCarthy is right here. He seemed to be ungrateful. Ron Paul is the only reason that you had such a substantial youth movement in the libertarian circle to begin with. He attracted a lot of young people because he was authentic. There's nothing inauthentic about Ron Paul. He's not riding in on a skateboard. He was a firm libertarian, committed, had been there for years, and the message was more important than trying to be hip like Gary Johnson or Beto O'Rourke, who is, of course, not a libertarian. But this is what they're going for. It's like, hey, hey, cool guy. Hey, youngster, vote for me because I'm hip. Ron Paul didn't have to be that. He was just Ron Paul. And Justin Amash might be able to pull off just being Justin Amash, but he's going to come off as aloof. I think his personality is that way. He's not a very personable kind of guy, and he always wants to be seen as the smartest guy in the room. Ron Paul was humble. He didn't, he didn't care about that. Now, I know there's the, <laughs> there's the very famous clip of Ron Paul at one of these talk shows back in the 1980s where he's uh, calling a guy fat. It's hilarious if you ever you know go out there and watch that. Uh, but 
Ron Paul was never never tried to be pretentious. He never tried to be the guy that's the smartest guy in the room. He just spoke about what was true, what was near and dear to him, which was liberty or economics, and he was authentic. What we what the Libertarian really party really needs is an authentic candidate, not a left leaning uh, never Trumper to come in and try to save the day because the media is going to like them. And this is where the Libertarian Party, is, as McCarthy gets into, is not very good. But they need an authentic person. It's also why I think Ron Paul has avoided the Libertarian Party, because they're ridiculous at this point. Now, before I get into the rest of the piece, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll see you back on the other side. I'll see you in just a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 to present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars. You've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about Justin Amash and the Libertarian Party and, of course, Ron Paul and his influence in libertarianism and this piece by Daniel McCarthy at spectator.us, which is americanspectator.com, or it used to be, uh, but anyways. Um, He continues, But it turned out that Amash's self-conscious separation from Ron Paul and the Tea Party was the beginning of a pattern again and again. Amash has made a point of, pre- of pretending to be better than everybody else, especially those who work alongside him. He was too good for the Ron Paul movement, too good for the Tea Party, and ultimately too good for the Republican Party and the House Freedom Caucus. A humbler man might have asked himself why every other Republican, including equally or even more liberty-minded ones, such as Kentucky's Representative Thomas Massey, was opposed to impeachment. Your friends and allies might be wrong, but they're presumably your friends and allies. In the first place, because you think they're generally on the right side. And if you think they're wrong in a particular instance, friendship and loyalty would argue that you should try to try all the harder to convince them to change and not simply break off the relationship. But Amash isn't about persuasion. 
He's about preening his own feathers. So again, to McCarthy, this particular split and foray into libertarian, the libertarian party is all about Amash's ego. He's essentially calling him again a narcissist. And this, as in so many things, is the opposite of Ron Paul. And this is where McCarthy gives a very glowing review of Ron Paul. Dr. Ron Paul also left the Republican Party to run for the Libertarian nomination back in 1988. He did not do it in a snit, however, or in a self-dramatizing way. And when the Libertarian Party proved to be a lousy vehicle for advancing liberty, which usually is, Dr. Paul returned to Congress as a Republican again. His 2008 and 2012 runs for the Republican presidential nomination were far more successful than his 1988 Libertarian Party bid in building a liberty movement and getting others elected to office, including Amash, Massey, and Paul's son, Rand, and awakening the interest of a new generation in constitutionalism and Austrian economics and establishing new institutions such as Young Americans for Liberty and in raising for the whole country important questions about war on the Federal Reserve. Paul was never running just to show that he was right. He was running to plant the right ideas in institutional soil where they had a chance of success. That meant running within the Republican Party for all its flaws, and it meant, me, it meant focusing more on ideas themselves than on the question of who is right or wrong. Now, this is where um, McCarthy insists that third parties are a waste of time that running with the Republicans or the Democrats is the way to go to build a consistent movement. Now, I think there is something to this. If you look at someone like Bernie Sanders, would Bernie Sanders have been as successfully just said, look, I'm running as a socialist? Would he have have attracted as many uh, Bernie bros from their basements if uh, if he had uh, just said, you know, I'm a socialist, he would have gotten some of these Bernie bros in their basements to support him. But by being a Democrat in the Democrat Party and using that as a larger platform to advance ideas and, frankly, getting millions of votes, I don't know if the Bernie Sanders movement would have been as successful. And this is when I postulated that Sanders, if he lost the nomination, might go third party. He has enough support to do it now. I mean, look, uh, Bernie Sanders should do it. There, there's no question in my mind Bernie Sanders should run third party. The Democrat Party is never going to, particularly as you've got the Clintons and the Bidens and even the Obamas. The Obamas are sneaky, though. The Obamas are more in line with Bernie Sanders than they admit. Uh, they have been made much more establishment by being in Washington, D.C. for eight years. But uh, they're sneaky in that they fundamentally agree with Sanders, I think, on a lot of issues, but they're more politically savvy, and so they're going to sneak in with the Democrat Party. Again, what they're trying to do is portray themselves as moderate when they're really not and get in there and do whatever they want. So in that way, and then, of course, I think there is a valid point with Ron Paul. Would Ron Paul have had as much success if he wasn't on the stage in all those debates and essentially being the only anti-war guy up there? And being very good at it, and his, his exchange with Rudy Giuliani, which Giuliani looked like a complete moron, uh, to anybody that had a brain, of course, all the, uh, rah, rah, yeah, we'll, uh, never forget, you know, can, uh, have you forgotten? And that's playing in the background and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And uh, So I, I think that uh, Ron Paul did a very good job with that. And, and look, bringing attention to the Federal Reserve, would he been able to do that if he was running as a Libertarian Party a candidate? For president, probably not. Nobody would have paid any attention to him. Um, 
So the opportunities that were presented in 2008 and 2012 when the Republicans were not in the White House was a very good opportunity. See, here's the other thing with Amash. Uh, he is running at a time when there's a Republican nominee. Now, would he go back to being Republican in, say, 2024 when there's no longer Republican in the White House? And we're trying to talk about, you know, ideas again and getting back, uh, the Republicans getting back in power. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. Uh, but, you know, I think that the situation is a little different right now uh, than it would be in, in uh, 2024 or what that it was in 2008, 12 or 16 when there's no Republican in, uh, in the White House or, you know, eight, we still have Bush, but Bush wasn't running again. So we had three consecutive elections with no Republican in power. So this gave the Republicans an opportunity to really think about where the party is going. And I think, look, Donald Trump capitalized on some of the uh, Ron Paul influenced right libertarian stuff when he was running for president in 2016. Now, of course, he hasn't been anywhere near that. And we got to remember Donald Trump, just like Pat Buchanan, supported the Reform Party because it was, you know, something else. And I do think the Reform Party had a lot of... Imp- Look, I, I, in some ways, I think the Reform, Reform Party has been the death of third-party candidates for the foreseeable future because when Ross Perot ran, he, I think he would have won. I think he would have won... Uh, in 1992, had he not uh, pulled out of the race and then gotten back in it, I think I really think Ross Perot was going to win that election. Um, and so things might have been different. We wouldn't have had Clinton, for example. But I really think Ross Perot, Ross Perot would have won. But because he didn't win, and because people on the right in particular think that he's the one, he's the reason why we had Bill Clinton. When in reality, Ross Perot voters were split fairly evenly between Clinton and Bush voters. Um, I think that that's why uh, the third parties are, are almost impossible to do, particularly at, at, for a presidential election. Now, I firmly believe in third parties at the local and state level. I think we need more of that. And in reality, I think we need more of it at the congressional for congressional elections. I wish we had a left party. I wish we had a far right party. I wish we had all these things. Because it would really let you uh, vote your conscience. And we'll see where America really is at that particular point. We don't need all these uh, hot air uh, people running around out there saying things that they don't really believe. They get to Washington, they're just institutionalized. And so that's not going to work. But of course, this is why I also say decentralization is the way forward. So we can just get rid of that anyways. Justin Amash is not known for ideas. In his time in Congress, he hasn't made foreign policy or monetary policy or anything else as conspicuous a theme as his own rebellious attitude. Sometimes the rebellious rebellions were justified as when he voted against John Boehner as Speaker of the House of Representatives. Though interestingly, only Massey dared vote against Paul Ryan. Amash supported him. And this is a very good point that McCarthy's making. If he was just the rebel, he should have been against Paul Ryan as well. But Uh, He dared not buck Paul Ryan because Justin Amash tends to get in with the neoconservative establishment more than what he lets on. The neoconservative establishment were the ones who were against the the never-Trump or Donald Trump. But what has marked Amash's politics more than any particular issue is his claim to personal moral superiority, including his over his own closest allies. He is truly the anti-Ron Paul. Instead of devoting himself to liberty and the Constitution, he uses the Constitution and liberty as pretext for his own vanity. Why criticize me, and you are really criticizing the rule of law itself? Humph. 
The Libertarian Party may indeed be the appropriate home for someone who places his own conceit above anything resembling political effectiveness. Third parties are mostly harmless, but that's the problem. If you have a limited number of supporters and limited financial resources and you really want to make your ideas matter, you will get more mileage for every voter and every dollar in a smaller electorate than in a bigger one. In other words, put your money and manpower into a Republican or Democratic primary, where the electorate is much smaller than in a general election, and you have a better chance of scaring the establishment into taking up your issues, even if you don't win. And I, this is a point, I mean, again, I just said, when you look at Bernie Sanders or even Ron Paul or Donald Trump. Like, I mean, Donald Trump had a very small core following that was vocal, and he used that as a vehicle to get the Republican nomination. And this is, and, and McCarthy makes a great point here. This strategy has proved itself time and time again in both major parties' primaries, which is why the establishment is eager to bring back the so-called smoke-filled room where activists and the public don't get a vote. And isn't it curious how elite pundits, for all their talk about democracy, are shameless about preening for this exquisitely anti-democratic form of politics? He's right about that. Take the people out of the primaries. Why were, this is a great, Historic, this is a great teaching moment. Why were primaries created in the first place? They were created during the progressive movement because it was thought the parties were too elitist. And so the way to get the people involved in the progressives spoke of democracy, which is they still do, was to have primaries and other things like referendum and recall and ballot initiatives. Um so this was direct democracy working to try to change the parties to make them more responsive to the electorate themselves. The real problem, though, of course, is political parties. I mean, I think Washington was 100% right in, in arguing against organized political parties. We didn't have organized political parties really till Martin Van Buren helped create the Democrat Party uh, back uh, in the early 19th century. And so uh, I think it's important to note that um, you know, political parties are dangerous, and the two-party system is absolutely moronic, uh, particularly at the state and local level. I mean, why, would, I mean, why does anyone care if they register as, as Republican or Democrat at the state and local level? That's all about, per, that's all about people. Uh, my next-door neighbor, uh, who is a judge, uh, ran as a Democrat, and he was trying to persuade people to go vote in the Democrat primary for his for his election, and he couldn't get people to do it. He, I mean, he's he's not he's very conservative, but he just said, "Look, I, I hate the Republicans. Someone runs a Democrat," and uh, he's trying to he was trying to get people. People wouldn't do it. Oh, I'm not voting for I'm not voting Democrat primary because of this nat, quote unquote national stigma. Well, why not? Local politics are different. The person he was running against was a nincompoop. So um, I think that's, you know, that's where we get in this local, you know, this this whole Republican-Democrat that, that, that at the state level and local level. It's just stupid. It's really just stupid. Uh, let's see. McCarthy continues, the general election is a battlefield in which a small number of votes can be least effective. So what is the Libertarian Party all about? It hasn't been about building any consistent nation-changing force for liberty, the fact that it doesn't even have a leadership cadre of its own, but every four years now turns to a former Republican as its presidential standard bearer is revealing. Well, it does have a leadership cadre. They're just ridiculous, not very effective. The Libertarian Party doesn't bring about any great new passion for liberty among people with talent. 
It's not really a political party because it does virtually nothing that affects politics. But it's also not a force for ideas. Whatever successes libertarian ideas have found in the last half century haven't come because of the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party is instead an example of something that libertarians otherwise find suspicious. An institution that exists only for the sake of continuing its own existence. A bureaucracy or a sinecure for its own officers. This is why whenever the opportunity is available, the Libertarian Party nominates some former Republican officeholder. The party needs the attention more than it institutionally needs to promote liberty. The business can go on with longtime drug warrior Bob Barr as the party's nominee. It can't go on with a series of no-name, ideologically pure libertarians on the ticket. And I think he makes a valid point here. Bob Barr was a name. So we put the name there to think that we're going to get people. But Bob Barr is not, I mean, Bob Barr is ridiculous. The Libertarian Party is not a political party. It's a publicity racket. Justin Amash is no longer a politician. He's an advertisement. Amash, Amash is his own cause, a movement for one man who identify, identifies the Constitution, the rule of law, and the cause of liberty with himself alone. The Libertarian Party craves publicity enough to make room for him, but don't count on Amash to pay back the Libertarian Party in years to come. So this is more a hit piece on Justin Amash and the modern Libertarian Party, which, by the way, is justified with the Libertarian Party than anything else. But it, it also is a think locally, act locally teaching moment. Who cares about the presidential election? We should all be focusing our energies now. And as I've said, I mean, look, the First Amendment podcast I did, the Second Amendment sanctuary counties, all of this stuff that I've talked about, this should all be teachable moments. We should be focusing our attention on those state and local issues, on the state and local governments. Forget saying we have First Amendment rights, we have Second Amendment rights. You're playing right into the hands of the other side. Don't do it. Don't do it. Use your state constitution's power, the power that it has, to limit the power of the authority in the state. And also, use the state as the vehicle in which Thomas Jefferson said they should be used, as a hedge against unconstitutional federal power. This is where thinking locally and acting locally matters. This is where thinking about your... Look, I've said this before, but most people in your subdivision today, if you live in a subdivision, that's as large... As a large medieval town, I mean, that cleaning up your streets and your subdivision, focusing on your neighbors, taking care of those things is really, really important nowadays. Looking after the people right around you, that's really important. We all have to go out into the world and shop at places and do stuff and interact. And we're all, of course, forced into this national polity, quote-unquote national polity and state, we're all forced into that because of politics and they take our money. We're all forced into that. But it shouldn't mean that we shouldn't be focusing on the grassroots and ground up. My wife actually said something very, in, I mean, she she said this and she wasn't, she said, look, uh, of course we homeschool and I've said this before and I've got a great homeschool curriculum for U.S. history. It's at McClanahan Academy, by the way, but we homeschool. And I would put, the, the retention of my, of my family and what they've learned in their homeschool curriculum, which is a very good curriculum, uh, what, they, what they would do with that, and they are using my U.S. history curriculum, by the way, what they would do in that, I would put their retention up against anybody else I've seen in public or private school. And they don't want to be in the institution. They don't want to be in the rat race. And so she said, these people are going to be elite in 20 years. And all of this works itself through. And these people retain stuff and they remember things and they write beautifully and they can present ideas. 
they're going to be the elite. And it wasn't to say that our daughters are the elite. There's a lot of smart kids out there, a lot of smart kids that go to school. They go to private school and public school, a lot of really smart kids. But if you homeschool properly and you do it right and you try to really ensure that your education is rigorous and important because of the retention, it's one-on-one instruction almost all the time. That is tremendous when it comes to retaining material and thinking about things. Uh, and so that's thinking locally and acting locally. And it's, it's important when we think about you know, the future and where we are. This is a long war. It's not a, it's not a battle for right now. This is why I do this podcast. It's a long war. And I want you on the think locally, act locally side in this long, long war. Uh, for the future of Western civilization and America as well, which is a byproduct of Western civilization. All right. So that's my thoughts on Justin Amash, Libertarian Party. Somebody also asked me about this. This was a listener-generated episode, by the way, because I did get a couple of emails about this. And then this piece came up in American Spectator. is a great way to talk about that, too. So hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. <laughs>